0: Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called Imitators of God. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, August the 9th, 2015. Live a life of love, Paul tells the Ephesians in this week's epistle from Ephesians 4. As I thought about these words of Paul, words that can sound so trivial and trite, I saw a movie that reminded me of how our lonely world really is looking for love. It's a biopic about Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys called Love and Mercy. Wilson was the innovative genius behind the Beach Boys, but despite his professional success, For much of his personal life, he's battled the dark demons of mental illness. His father was abusive. Substance abuse, auditory hallucinations, erratic behavior, financial insolvency, attempted suicide, and nervous breakdowns, all these precipitated multiple hospitalizations. At one point, Wilson weighed over 300 pounds and spent months in bed, an abusive therapist and legal guardian named Eugene Landy, who was eventually disbarred from practice, ironically enough, might have saved his life. As I watched the movie, I kept wondering where the marvelous title came from. Sorry for the spoiler alert, but in a clever effect by the director Paul, Bill Polad, as the film ends in the credits roll, we watch Brian Wilson perform his 1988 song called Love and Mercy. Here are the lyrics. I was sitting in a crummy movie with my hands on my chin. All the violence that occurs seems like we never win. I was lying in my room and the news came on TV. A lot of people out there hurting and it really scares me. I was standing in a bar and watching all the people there. Oh, the loneliness in this world. Well, it's just not fair. And then the refrain, love and mercy, that's what we need tonight. Love and mercy to you and your friends tonight. Elsewhere, Brian Wilson explained how he wrote the song. I was in my piano room playing What the World Needs Now, and I just went into my own song. Worked very hard to get out what was in my heart on that one. It's a personal message from me to people. We wanted people to be covered with love. Because there's no guarantee of somebody waking up in the morning with any love. It goes away like a bad dream. It disappears. Mercy would be a deeper word than love. I would think love's a gentle thing, and mercy would be a more desperate, ultimately more desperately needed thing in life. Mercy, a little break here and there for somebody who's having trouble. Love and mercy is probably the most spiritual song I've ever written. In a poignant coincidence, The Wilson film was preceded by trailers of forthcoming movies about two other troubled artists whose lives ended way too early. First, Amy, about the musician Amy Winehouse, in which debuted at the 2015 Cannes Film Festival. And then, The End of the Tour, which premiered at the 2015 Sundance Film Festival, and which is about the writer David Foster Wallace. Those lyrics to Brian Wilson's song could serve as the theme for all that David Foster Wallace tried to express in his writing. That is, an analysis of our culture of loneliness and the search for the personal experience of love. (coughs) When Wallace's editor received the first 400 pages of the novel Infinite Jest, 1996, by some accounts the most important novel of its decade, he compared it to a piece of glass dropped from a great height. The crazy complexity of the 1,100-page story makes it hard to describe. Some passages make you laugh out loud. Others stymie you. Single paragraphs run on for pages, and the infamous 388 footnotes can themselves have footnotes. The novel explores numerous aspects of American culture, national character, information overload, which the book mimics, suicide, an addiction to drugs, entertainment, and pleasure. But in numerous interviews, David Foster Wallace said that he intended to write a book about sadness. The themes of addiction and entertainment for which the book is justly famous are really only vectors of sadness and loneliness. And so David Foster Wallace's biographer, D.T. Max, says that Infinite Jest is, quote, a story of people in pain. The novelist Dave Eggers puts it this way, Infinite Jest has a very quiet but very sturdy and constant tragic undercurrent that concerns a people who are completely lost, who are lost within their families, and lost within their nation, and lost within their time, and who only want some sort of direction or purpose or sense of community or love. Wallace often said that he intended his fiction to explore what it means to live a life of human wholeness in a culture obsessed with individual choice, putative freedom, and rabid individualism, all of which result in a loss of purpose in the ability to give yourself to something bigger. In the end, Wallace became what D.T. Max calls a, quote, full fledged apostle of sincerity. The cliches of AA recovery supplant the technical jargon of literary theory. Sincerity replaced irony as a virtue, and saying what you meant became a calling. At the end of his biography, Max makes a provocative comparison between Dostoevsky and David Foster Wallace. Quote, "Like the good old brother's K," as Wallace called Dostoevsky's novel, Infinite Jest counterposes sincerity and faith against moral lassitude. Both eschew stylish irony to make a simple point. Faith matters. Or, in the argot of this week, more specifically, faith expressing itself in love is what matters. In Galatians 5-6, Paul said, quote, it's the only thing that matters. In his book of poetry called Leavings from 2012, Wendell Berry's poem prayer gives us a way to start. He writes, I know that I have life only insofar as I have love. I have no love except it come from thee. Help me please to carry this candle against the wind. When we live in love, says Paul in Ephesians, we imitate the character of God. We fulfill our human destiny. He says we're all created to be like God. And when we live in love, we become nothing less than what Paul calls imitators of God. So, live a life of love. For books this week, I review a novel called God Help the Child, by Toni Morrison, New York, Knopf, 2015, 178 pages. The writer and Princeton professor emerita, Toni Morrison, born in 1931, has won almost every major award one can imagine, the National Book Critics Circle Award, the Pulitzer Prize, the Nobel Prize in Literature, and in 2012, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. This is her eleventh novel and the first one that's set in our own day. At the center of this story is a young woman named Bride, who was wholly rejected by her mother's sweetness because she was so jet black at birth. Indeed, writes Morrison, quote, she was so black she scared me, end quote, says Sweetness, whose skin, whose own skin color is described as high yellow. A horrible lie is only one of the ways that bride acts out in longing for her mother's love. But in fact, this is a story not about race, but about childhood traumas. And how those tragedies can define our adult lives if we let them. She writes People tend to cling to a sad little story of hurt and sorrow, some long ago trouble and pain life dumped on their pure and innocent selves. In addition to Bride and Sweetness, there are three other main characters. And in alternating chapters, Morrison gives each one of them the narrator's voice. There's Bride's boyfriend, Booker, who dumped her without without explanation. Her best friend, Brooklyn, and a wrongly convicted child molester named Sophia. All five characters in the novel experience some version of child abuse in their family past as did a minor character named Rain. At least the mother's sweetness reached some degree of wisdom, born of regret and resignation. I wasn't a bad mother, you have to know that, but I may have done some hurtful things to my only child because I had to protect her, taught me a lesson I should have known all along, what you do to children, matters, and they might never forget. Sweetness did the best she could, and if the pregnant bride thinks that being a parent of a baby, quote, is all cooing, booties, and diapers, she's in for a big shock. Big. Listen to me. You are about to find out what it takes, how the world is how it works, and how it changes when you're a parent. Good luck, and God help the child. So, the scripture quotation at the beginning of Toni Morrison's novel turns out to be essential rather than superfluous. At the beginning of the book, we read Luke eighteen sixteen, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not. Once again, Toni Morrison, God Help the Child, 2015. For Movies This Week, we have a film review written by David Werther. The title of the film is called The Wrecking Crew. Directed by Danny Tedesco, Magnolia Pictures, 2015. At, this begin- at the beginning of this music documentary film, we see news clips noting the passing of guitarist Tommy Tedesco. The theme of these broadcasts is that you may never have heard of the name Tommy Tedesco, but you've most certainly heard his music. Tedesco was a member of a group of go-to L.A. studio musicians in the 1960s, known to rock historians as... The Wrecking Crew, and thus the title of the movie. Among Tedesco's compatriots were guitarists Glenn Campbell, Al Casey, and Bill Pittman, pianists Leon Russell and Don Randy, bassists Carol Kay and Joe Osborne, saxophonist Plas Johnson and drummer Hal Blaine. When pop music was dominated by hit singles on 45 RPM records, the Wrecking Crew reigned, providing instrumentals on recordings by the Beach Boys, the Birds, the Association, the Mamas and the Papas, Sonny and Cher, the Righteous Brothers, Frank Sinatra, Nancy Sinatra, Nat King Cole, the Monkees, and many others. The film features interviews with members of the Wrecking Crew and some of the artists they back. Brian Wilson, for example, of the Beach Boys, Cher, Nancy Sinatra, and so on. It comes in a two-DVD set with hours of bonus material on their L.A. recording sessions. Composer Jimmy Webb gets it just right. He says, The wrecking crew were the stone-cold rock and roll professionals, and there may never, ever be a group of rock and roll musicians of that caliber again. Once again, a documentary music film called The Wrecking Crew. For poetry this week, we have a marvelous poem called A Future Not Our Own. It's in memory of Oscar Romero, who lived from 1917 to 1980. A future not our own. It helps now and then to step back and take a long view. The Kingdom is not only beyond our efforts, it's beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is God's work. Nothing we do is complete, which is another way of saying that the Kingdom always lies beyond us. No statement says all that could be said No prayer fully expresses our faith. No confession brings perfection. No pastoral visit brings wholeness. No program accomplishes the church's mission. No set of goals and objectives include everything. This is what we're about. We plant the seeds that one day will grow. We water the seeds already planted, knowing that they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that produces effects far beyond our capabilities. We cannot do everything and there is a sense of liberation in realizing this. This enables us to do something and to do it very well. It may be incomplete, but it's a beginning. One step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and do the rest. We may never see the end results, but that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers, not master builders. Ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future, not our own. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, August the 9th, 2015. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.